This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. In getting your mind around the possibility of having a personal relationship with God, you're going to have to take into account an honest picture of what really is in your heart. I know you think you always mean well and that you're full of good intentions, but God's Word describes your moral bent in a completely different way. And listen, it's devastating to your best arguments for yourself. Still, you're right. God does find something in you that makes Him desire a good relationship with you. Let's consider this under the light of God's Holy Word. If you want to go to a greater authority and one that's backed up by the Spirit of God, you go to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And there God gives us a snapshot of what He sees in the heart of man. And it's something that really, you might think you've seen glimpses of it, but you've never really seen. There is a universal expression of what God sees. It says there is none righteous. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. Together all men have become worthless. There's none that does good. All their throats are open graves. All their tongues are full of deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet, accumulative, are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery is in their ways. They do not know the way that brings about peace. They just don't even know it. They can't find it on their own. They have no fear of God before their eyes. You don't see that in yourself. Or you may see glimpses of it, but you don't see it in its raw depth. Only God can. You may think that you've seen this side of yourself or this side of man, and what you've had at times is a glimpse of it. But you've never seen it in its full potential, its full raw potential. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6-12. through 12. Let's turn there for a moment. I won't have the opportunity this morning to give a full explanation of this passage. There are different people who try to explain this in different ways. But I believe what we have here is a description of the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our present age in restraining the man that was described in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. All men that's described in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And the effect that takes place when the Holy Spirit withdraws that restraint. There are things that restrain this potential in human beings. We have a social contract in which we live with one another and we keep one another kind of accountable to behave in a certain way so that our society doesn't get pulled apart. There are things that we do to put a retribution against somebody who throws rocks through your window. You see, we throw rocks through the window and then until they learn not to throw rocks through our window. And so this kind of constrains their bad behavior. We even put governance around and we hire someone to go around and make sure and patrol our community to make sure that nobody throws rocks through the window even when they want to throw rocks through somebody's window. Even when they think they have a right to throw a rock through somebody's window. We have a policeman that goes around and makes sure you don't do things like that. So we have this restraint that we put upon one another because of the social contact. We have governance that takes place to restrain this behavior. God has actually given us a conscience. 
that helps to restrain this behavior to some extent. Even genetically, some of us have been given predispositions towards certain things and not towards other things. And so as we mingle together, to some extent, that part where we don't have the predisposition, there's certain people in our neighborhood who don't have the predisposition to throw rocks through people's windows. They have some other problem they have in their life, and they help to monitor those who do, and back and forth, and this genetic restraint is upon us as well. But on top of all those things, the primary work of restraint is given to the one who sees the raw, wicked potential in mankind. It's God who restrains these things, and that's who's being described here. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. What we have is a description of what's going to come at the end of the age when the Antichrist, who is called the lawless one, is going to be revealed. And then what's going to flood out from his expressing of himself over all the earth during the time of what is known as the Great Tribulation. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's a man that's going to be revealed at the end of the age, the Antichrist, the one of lawlessness, the lawless one who is an embodiment of the lawless spirit that's embedded mysteriously in all of our flesh that we don't know and it's been concealed and we've never entirely understand, although it's at work within us, because it's being restrained. It's being restrained by the Spirit of God. But the restraining work of the Spirit of God at one point in time, at some point in time, is going to be removed. And in that moment, the earth is going to be involved in a volcanic eruption of evil, that it's going to overwhelm it into a flood of destruction, so that in a period of three and a half years, Half of the world's human population is going to be destroyed because of the evil and the wretchedness and the sin that you've never seen in your own life apart from Jesus Christ. You have a hard time believing that God would come and save us and this is required because people are basically good, aren't they? No, they're not. The reason you don't understand is you have not begun to fathom the deep wretchedness of your own life apart from Christ. And that it's unconquerable. And that it's a magma, it's a hidden volcano, a super volcano that's about ready to explode. And when it explodes, it'll destroy the earth. There is in humans a boiling cauldron of evil that we've never seen or measured in them or others or ourselves. It's not possible to understand the index of misery that resides in the flesh of all people, in the heart of unsaved people, simply by bringing to mind the sins that we have committed or they have committed. There is at the center of human nature this volcanic upheaval of sin waiting to erupt and spew itself out that is unseen and unappreciated And the reason it doesn't spew out on our lives in full force is because mercifully, God is restraining it. 
And this is the invisible man that is, in a sense, accessible to all of us. He can be covered by our culture and our cultural styles and our trendy manners and our behavior, but God knows him even though we don't. And God actually, I think, graciously keeps us from revealing this because if we could actually see it in others and ourselves, we would descend into distrustful chaos. But God knows our raw potential to be something worse than our worst nightmare. If it were not for the properties of the conscience that He's given us and the social restraints that He's placed around us and the providential limits that He sets upon us, but finally the overriding suppression of evil that is carried out by the Holy Spirit. The world will be submerged in havoc and one day it will because the Spirit's going to withhold that restraint and there's going to be this explosion. With all of these restraints that God places upon us, the fact is we still, if we just look briefly through the newspaper, we still see evidence of this. We see hints of it. What I'm only saying is what you see a hint of is just a hint. You're not seeing, oh, a slip up in the normal pattern of good and positive things that we produce. No, there is even progressive advance in human society because it's the advance of places where God's truth and God's laws are being obeyed and followed, that God honors those laws and the submission to those laws and allows good things to be produced out of it. But the tendency of the human heart is the other way. Just looking at your own life and a casual survey of history will show you the monstrosity that's within humanity. Hypocrisies, lies, unfaithfulness, willful disobedience, blind arrogance, sensuality, greed, jealousy, hatred, an insatiable appetite to gratify the self that pushes people and nations deeper and deeper into personal conflicts, interpersonal conflicts, international conflicts that result in wars that rage internally, in homes, and across the face of the world. In his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest evangelical thinkers of all time, assessed human nature with this ruthless critique, quote, the corruption of the heart of man is immoderate. That means it doesn't have any moderation in it, in and of itself, and boundless in its fury. And while wicked men live here, it is like fire pent up by God's restraints. Whereas if it were let loose, it would set on fire the course of nature and as the heart is now a sinkhole of sin, so if sin was not restrained, it would immediately turn the soul into a fiery oven or a furnace of fire and brimstone. That's your heart. That's where man is, apart from what God does in intervening to save them and transform them. George Whitfield, who was somewhat of a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards and was the great evangelist of the 18th century to North America and basically led North America in what was called the First Great Awakening, Whitfield would summarize Edwards' analysis in his sermons and his preaching as multitudes would gather before him and he'd preach the message to the people that were there. And the summation of it all was simply this, quote, men are monsters of iniquity. You're monsters of iniquity. 
Your sin is so great and so profound, and the greatest evidence of it is that you don't realize it or know it. And so you can't weep for it and repent for it. What Whitfield would say is, well, maybe you can't weep and repent for it, but George Whitfield will weep for you. The Spirit weeps over you. Whitfield would throw back his head and begin to weep for, for the people that were before him. Now we've asked the question to the song, Amazing Love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And maybe we see the reason for the question more profoundly than ever before by what we've just talked about. But even as we've said what we've said, we again come upon a hint for the reason as well. Because what we've done is we've seen ourselves from the teaching and instruction of God's word and the reality that we find in our own evidence of our own flesh and some find in the evidence of their own heart. We see that we're monsters of sin in comparison with our holy maker. But right there, we've compared ourselves to our holy maker. And that is, well, there's something of an answer for what the questions we're asking. Because only human beings compare themselves with God. Even if we find ourselves lacking, we've done a rather wonderful thing. We compare ourselves to God because we of all creatures were made in His image and made to know Him in personal relationship and this purpose God is ready to restore us to through the work of His Son Jesus dying for the monstrosity of our sin. Think about it. Amazing love. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.